Yes, I'd like to continue in that theme, actually, on the theme of authority. Uh, Lord, we are amazed when we think about your communication with us and how you touch our hearts and seem to know everything so much better than we do, what's going on in our lives and what's going on in our church and what's going on in the world, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And even though you know you are still on our side and you are so amazing, amazingly supporting us and so present, we love your presence and we love to just close our eyes to this world and think about your presence and we worship you, we, we worship you with everything that you have given to us and you continue giving and continue giving and so undeserved, so much love, so much encouragement. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the body of Christ, it's reality. It's our testimony. It's the testimony of the body of Christ. Beyond borders, beyond all kinds of races or all kinds of divisions. And it's the body of Christ. We love that. Bless the night in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to turn in our Bibles to John 12. And this will lead us to this thought about authority and we read from the beginning of the chapter till verse 8 we are at John 12 then uh, six days before the Passover Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was and who had been dead whom he had raised from the dead there they made him a supper and Martha served but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly and oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have always with you, but me you do not have always. I believe that every believer has a call from God, and that call comes with authority. And authority is actually a good word for that connection that we have with God. We are connected. We are not just representing ourselves as wonderful as we are, but we are representing something and someone else. And this is the authority. And God has called us with that authority to that authority. And it's interesting that there are several passages in the Bible that speak about the aroma of God's spirit and the aroma of God's life in us. 
here uh, Mary poured out the ointment and it's, I love that moment when it says that the, the whole house was filled with that perfume. You know, I live in a country of perfumes. Oman is, is every house has a beautiful smell and every person has a beautiful smell. I haven't, uh, every person in Oman smells good. They do, really. Every second shop in the country is a perfume shop. Both men and women, they make sure that they smell good. And houses smell like there is this uh, <coughs> incense that they are burning, and every house has that smell. And, and even that thing is burning often in malls, you know, like uh, contemporary modern malls. There's a little place where that perfume shop and the incense is burning there. And I see people go by that and, and put something on their clothes. <laughs> and I love that. I love that because it speaks about something. And here, uh, you know, in Second Corinthians 2, Paul says that, that we are the aroma of Christ to God. He actually speaks about that, how we are a good smell to God. And then we are good smell to believers. I'm kind of rephrasing it, but this is what he means. <laughs> so that we are a good smell to believers and bad smell to unbelievers, to those who go to eternity in rebellion. And, and of course, this is an amazing picture here when she poured out that ointment and it had authority because our call has that smell. And, and when we, that's why we don't believe in self-appointed leaders. We don't support that. We don't even support self-sent missionaries. Because we believe in authority. We believe that this connection is biblical. It is from God's heart. It's from God's order. And it's an amazing protection and covering. And it has a certain smell. And Judas expresses very clearly that it didn't smell good for him. He was like, ah, like, you know, why wasn't this all for the young? Like, it was a bad smell for him. But it was a good smell for Jesus. And, and I, I'd like to think about myself as a good-smelling person. <laughs> yeah. And our mission also, and our presence at something beautiful, something that would bring a certain authority into a place. And I like to say, I often say this, that I believe that the hero of missions is the body of Christ. It really is. And, and after being here for this week here, I've been with you, I, I'm more and more sure about it, that this is where the authority is expressed and revealed and exalted, really. It's in the fellowship of the saints. And there's a beautiful aroma here. And let it fill. Let it fill places. Let it fill houses that we visit. Let it, that people after a week, after we have visited, they still say, that was a special visit. That there was something from heaven. There was some kind of a smell from heaven with those people. May it be so. I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful? if we could say, and we could bring that to a country also. And by God's grace, we will, because God has...
called us with his authority, and as we go in this authority, we have something to give people. It's amazing that that what is good smelling and pleasant to someone else is almost like evil because it brings conviction, it brings God into the picture. Pray for us in Oman. I always invite you to come and visit. When, I, when you come, I might not be there. <laughs> they need your aroma there. Amen. remember when Pastor Shabelli threw out the seed, that's the last time he preached at a mission. Do you remember that, guys? He told me to go get the fire extinguishers after that message. He wanted the perfume everywhere. That's what he said. Okay. Okay. Let's, uh, everybody stand, please. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 9. Three verses, starting at verse 36. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Father, we thank you for this prayer that we can ask you to send out labors into the harvest field, God. Use this night to that end. In Christ's name, amen. Could the missions, people that work in the missions office come up here for a minute? Pirio, Ula, Pastor Gary's here. Pastor Ronaldo. Pastor Fred. Come on, come on. Come on, Pirio. She's right there. She's right there. Isn't this, listen, this is amazing, isn't it? Uh, I have the great privilege of working with uh, Jesus Christ and his body. And uh, these, these four are so incredible. Is there five? Sorry. <laughs> That's what happens when your eyes don't work. Yeah. Uh, five incredibly gifted and spiritual people. And I just want to thank, I want you to, I thank them and not only, um, I was thinking about, if we didn't have a stage here, I would have had us sit down there and all of you come up here because you're responsible for missions. The church, the church. All of you would come up here and then we would go down there and just say, thank you. And so I want to thank the church. We want to thank the church for really just having a vision for missions. Amen? No, it's, 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 a, it's a rare thing nowadays in churches across the world, across America, you don't find a lot of people. I remember being in a church and they said, we don't even want you to talk about missions. I said, thank you and goodbye. Those two words went together very well. <laughs> but uh, I want to just thank them. And then we thank the church for praying for missions, supporting missions, going on the mission field, going on summer harvest, because it is, it's the church. 
as the church and uh, the head of the church, Jesus Christ, and his body. And you've done such an amazing uh, work over these many, many years, 50-something years. And uh, just we, we thank you. God thanks you. We thank you. And amen. Amen. Okay. And I especially want to thank Pastor Schaller because uh, I never really thought about missions till he preached from Luke cha- uh, Hebrews chapter 11 in uh, the 80s, in the early 80s. It was 1981 or 82, somewhere in there, 80. And he came and preached on Hebrews 11 in Starrethan Chapel. Do you remember that? Starrethan Chapel. <laughs> that was something else. And uh, the church was growing. We had, we had grown from 11 people in the Marriott Hotel, and that became 50, and then we went to Starrethan Chapel. The 50 became 250. We went to State Street in uh, Springfield, Mass., became 700 people. And, uh, but I always remember the message he preached, and it really struck me. I, I tell a story sometimes, if you've heard it. I don't have a problem in my mind uh, as of yet, but, uh, and I don't plan to. I didn't want to really hear what he had to say because I wasn't interested in missions. I was interested basically in street missions with, with addicts and alcoholics, and I love criminals. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you why, but I just love criminals. Prisons, drug addicts, alcoholics, and that was my life. When I, when I heard you know, about foreign missions, I was like, yeah, whatever, you know, okay. I had no interest in that, and he preached the message, and he was 11, and it just struck me. So thank you. Thank you for your life and your message and your friendship. And thank you, Lisa. Thank you for being a great wife to him. So really, uh, and we think about the portion of Scripture that he read, uh, and I want to think maybe uh, three ideas in my mind. Uh, One is the harvest is great. The harvest is plenteous, number two, and the harvest is ready, number three. And why is the harvest great? The harvest is great. And I I think it's great because it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We're bringing him to this lost and dying world. And I've had the privilege of being in 112 countries uh, in the last, I don't know, 40-something years. And uh, just to think about being able to present Christ to people. I remember one time being in a village in Africa and it took four translations to get to the chief. I had to have four different translators to get to his language. And because he asked me, what, what message have you brought us here? This was a real primitive village with uh, idol worship going on and uh, they would nail chickens to trees and worship the tree and sacrifice the chickens and different animals uh, to this and I thought, wow. It's amazing there's places like this that exist on planet Earth, you know, and that uh, we have Jesus Christ who has saved us, he's called us, he has a purpose for us, and the greatness of God. I just, I just think about the greatness of God. The harvest is all about the greatness of God. It's not about this technique or that technique, and I'm not, I'm not against techniques and administration and organization, but what we are presenting is the greatness of God. Amen? How great he is. Uh, and how people just have no idea about who Jesus Christ is. You know, it, there, there's places where they've never heard the name still. Still on this, uh, on this planet Earth. There's villages. There's villages across India. 
hundreds and thousands of villages, thousands of villages. Uh, and I, th I think somebody told me something like, uh, in, even in Ghana alone, there was like thousands of villages that have no, no gospel witness at all. By the way, that means I will never get an unemployment slip from God. There's always work to be done, amen? amen. It's like we, we've always got opportunities. We don't have to go looking for a job. We don't even need to really apply. We just have to believe. And, they, and God will send us. The harvest is great because it's about he who is great in our lives. He saved us. I remember when I got saved. It was interesting. I got saved in 1976, January 6, 1976. I didn't know what salvation was. I just knew that something happened in my life that night. And what I did is I immediately went on the streets with a Bible and started talking to people about Christ. But I didn't know anything about him. So that was kind of an interesting time. I'm talking to people. I got a Bible in my hand. They said, what, would you, what, what do you want? I said, I want to tell you about Jesus. They said, what about him? I said, I don't know. I just know that my life has been changed. I know that I once was, I was this and now I'm this. I was, I was involved in narcotics for many, many years, getting high every day for decades. And I was, I was involved. I was in bar rooms. I was involved with all kinds of things. I don't want to go into it. But I just said, I know something happened to me. And exactly what it is, I'm not so sure how to explain it. And uh, of course, there were Christians that I found later on, maybe a few months later in a church, and they told me, uh, you don't know anything. You shouldn't be doing that. I said, oh, thank you. That's really going to encourage me and help me to go on. You don't know enough. You shouldn't be doing that, you know. Wow, the woman at the well, what did she do? She got saved and went and told the town, come and see a man who told me I've, everything I've ever done is not this to Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. I, that's amazing. That we, the greatness of God and who he is. And what was being proclaimed today so much is the greatness of man. And even if people are not careful, they can proclaim the greatness of Christians and they, come, they become greater than God himself. And maybe that's why sometimes people will end up falling and going down because that has happened. I'm not saying that they themselves promote it, but maybe they do. But, you know, it's like we are just amazingly weak, and we are sinners saved by grace, and God is so great. I love that song, How Great Thou Art. You know that song? Yes. Yeah. How great thou art. I mean, the greatness of God, and how he saved us, and how he has a purpose and a plan for my life. What would I be doing today? I know what I would be doing or I'd be dead, one or the other. But the greatness of God had a great plan for your life and for my life. The greatness of God took a man from Maine and just filled him with the Holy Spirit, filled him with the Word of God, and gave him a vision for a mission that would reach into all the world. Amen? Who would ever think about that? That that could even happen with a small, just a small ministry per se, uh, and yet, I remember one time I went up and said, uh, we have a, somebody said they have a small church. We're up in Pastor Stevens' house. And he said, don't ever say that. So I repent for saying that. Small churches. We have a big Jesus. Amen? Amen? The greatness of God. How great he is in our lives. And sometimes we just to sit there and magnify the greatness of God. Just get your Bible out and just sit maybe in a chair somewhere and just think about the greatness of God. And it's, it's amazing how when we think about the greatness of God, all that man's doing means nothing. All the craziness in this world, all, the, all this and all that that's going on, everything that man is attempting to do, and every time he's trying to make himself great. Wasn't that what Simon was called, the great one? 
in Acts chapter 8, trying to make himself great by more education, by more money, by more power, by more authority, by more wealth, by having this and having that. And yet Jesus is just a humble servant. He's God the servant, the greatness of God. Amen? The greatness of God. When you pray, praying to the greatness of God and realizing what he can do, what he can do in a moment of time. Maybe we have situations in our lives and we wonder, is this ever going to end? Maybe it's personally, you know, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's children, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's a financial issue. But we seem to easily, and it happens to me too, I can easily forget about the greatness of God. That he can come in in a moment of time. Can you imagine they're hiding behind closed doors in John 20, and someone doesn't even have to knock on the door, he just comes through the door. And all of a sudden, fear not. Fear not. Wow! The greatness of God, he's risen from the dead, amen? The greatness of God, he has power that he gives unto us. The greatness of God, his love, his light, his life, his gentleness, his meekness, his lowliness, his righteousness, his faith, the greatness of God. That's what missions is all about, the greatness of God. It's not the takeaway. I mean, men and women will say yes to God and they'll go on the mission field and they will respond. But who are we and who are they without Jesus Christ? And, they can, and you can be saved, but somehow I don't touch the greatness of God. I am, I'm just not, uh, am I listening to the greatness of God? A doctor told me one time when I was there, I, I had a stroke of all places in Africa. Hello. I remember I woke up one morning, I opened my eyes, and there was a rat on my chest. I said, wow, welcome. And I thought, this is not going to go well. This is not, this whole stroke thing in Africa is not going to go well. People didn't really exactly know what they were doing. Then the phone, somebody brought me in a cell phone, somebody in the church, and it was Pastor Stevens on the phone. And he says, I'm praying for you almost every moment of every day, and God's going to heal you. And God did what? He healed me. Pastor Stevens brought out, I was thinking, this could be it. What's going to happen? Who's going to do this? What's going to happen with my wife? How about my family? What's going, how about the ministry? I forgot about the what? The greatness. the greatness of God. How great he is. And what he can do when we look at a city and we can say, this is how the city is and this is what's going on. I'm, I'm down there uh, uh, as often as I can on evangelism. And I'm not going to think about what's wrong. I want to think about who's great. Amen? I don't, want to, I don't want to be fellowshipping and thinking on You watch the news, you get this mental attitude that can drive you nuts and give you nightmares and you never sleep and you wake up tired. But I want to think about the greatness of God. Amen? I want to think about God's greatness, His power, His life, the vision He has, the purpose He has for my life. Heaven is our home. The greatness of God. Are you with me? <laughs> Harvest is great because Jesus is great. Amen? We're not out there preaching a denomination. We're not out preaching ourselves. That's what Paul said. We don't preach ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We preach Christ. And we preach Christ and Him crucified. The greatness of God. Wow. Harvest is what? Great. I said the harvest is what? Great. Great. The greatness of God. Then it's plenteous. You know what that means? Eight billion people on planet Earth. 
Did you know that? And only 730 to 750 million people are born again. That means over 7 billion people are lost. You think, well, I don't know. There's nothing to do with Christianity. I'm getting bored. Really? You're getting bored? You must be joking. The greatness of God and the harvest is what? Plenteous. There's countries that are there. They call them locked. I don't like to hear anything about a locked country. Hello? Are you with me? Yeah. Huh? I was reminding my wife, we got locked up together in Yugoslavia in the same jail cell. Wasn't that awesome, Linda? Wasn't that amazing, huh? You must have said to yourself, what's he doing to me? What's going on here? That was the greatness of God. That was the greatness of God. I got locked up a second time with Pastor Steve Marillo, and I think I'd rather be with my wife, you know? He was reading, he was chewing bubble gum and reading the comics in jail. I'm like, he has no idea what's going on here. This is Jordan, and they, they give you 10 years in jail for uh, evangelism, bringing Bibles in. The greatness of God. I told a story one time. My brother and I used to smuggle Bibles in China. My brother was an expert smuggler, by the way. He learned, he learned early with other things. He's an expert smuggler. He could put 80 Bibles on his body. I, I don't mean big ones. I mean the small ones. They were everywhere. And we walk like this. How are you guys doing? Good. He said, what's wrong? I said, you have a bathroom anywhere? No? And uh, the Chinese said to him, you have Holy Bible? Do you have Holy Bible? My brother said, no. Then he searched them. He found 80 Bibles. He says, Christian should not lie. He goes, I didn't lie. You said, do I have Holy Bible? I got Bibles. <laughs> the greatness of God. We got delivered. Amen. We brought the Bibles in. I mean, it was amazing. The greatness of God. And it's plenteous. There's so, I mean, think about how many lost people are out there in Baltimore. There's people that are lost in Baltimore. I was just thinking about the lost and, and, and how God loves the lost. How he loves the lost. That's what, that, that's what I want to be baptized into. A love for the lost. I think if a Christian could be dipped into hell for a second, he would become an immediate soul winner. I know that's not possible. Just like shown it, shown it with a vision, like the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. It's plenteous. It's plenteous. There's so many people. There's so many people, religious people. I, I think I was counting uh, this morning 1.4 million Hindus, 1.5 Billion, I'm sorry, 1.4 billion Hindus, 1.5 billion Muslims. It's unbelievable. I mean, really think about it. Orthodox people, over a billion. Agnostics and atheists. The whole world's lost. But we have the love of God that will motivate us for the lost. We have the mercy of God for the lost. We have the grace of God for the lost. We have the word of God for the lost. We have the faithfulness of God for the lost. I've just been thinking for two days about the lost, about people that are lost. And I'm thinking like, because I remember, and we should remember that we were that way. Not that we want to reflect on our, what's happened in our past, but that there's people out there and they are lost. They're walking by us all the time. And I'm not saying be hyper-spiritual and go jumping at everybody that walks by you or stop your car in the middle of the road and just start giving people the gospel. I'm not saying that. Unless, of course, God tells you to do that, do it. You know, whatever. <laughs> But really, how many people are lost? 
Didn't we hear the song this morning, my house is full, but my what? My fields are empty. The harvest is plenteous. It's plenteous. But the laborers are what? Jesus said it three times. Matthew 10, Luke 10, and John 4. Just in different ways. It's plenteous, but the laborers are few. What do you want to do with your life? Well, I just want to, I talked to somebody the other day, I just want to get married and find a good husband and raise kids. Uh, yeah? Okay. Okay, okay, I know. Somebody's going to get upset with this. You know what? I want, to, I want to know what God wants for my life. That can be absolutely a great part of it. But you know what? If my wife doesn't care for the lost, our marriage is not going too far. <clears throat> Isn't that true, Lynn? No, it's not. If I don't care for the lost, it's amazing. Our, our Bible school, our Christian school, they evangelize. They go out and they evangelize and the teachers take them out. And the Bible college students and the church staff and everything. Let's never lose that love for the lost. Amen? Administration, coming out of the offices. You say, I can't do that. I'm a shy person. But the Holy Spirit can. The new person is not shy. God, give me a heart's desire for the lost. I'm going to tell you, God, I don't have it. And I'm not saying I have it all the time. There are times when I could care less. But then I say, Jesus, I know you care for the lost. You love the lost. You have mercy for the lost. You finish the work for the lost. You have a message for the lost, a word for the lost, a purpose for the lost, a church for the lost. God, give that to me. May my heart be like that. Somebody says, well, what happens when you get like old? Get old? I don't even know what old means. Moving towards my next goal is 80. And I, you know what I love? C.T. Studd was 85 riding a bicycle in the midst of cannibals in Africa. Hallelujah. Are you with me? 85 years old. Man, that gives me at least another 15, 20 years. Well, no, that 20 years would be 95. Yeah, I, would, I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind. Oh, you'd be all crinkly in your bones. I don't care about that. I don't care about that kind of pain. There's a worse pain in my heart when I know I could be used. And thank God for this church. Give yourselves a hand. Thank God for this church. Thank God we can be a part of this church. We don't have people walking around. And I've been in a place that said, you know, we just need to tone it down. We need to do something else. We need to make sure we do this and that and this and that. And like, you know what, as far as, I remember being in a church of 700 people and going on evangelism, there was three of us. Out of 700, it broke my heart. I can't, I said, what's happened? How did this happen? And you know what, God, thank you for in your word, and through your spirit, you are revealing to us, harvest is about the lost. Harvest is about the lost. And he says, it's, not only is it great, it's plenteous. But you know what? It's ready for harvest. Don't say in four months, and then comes the harvest. Look on the fields, and they are what? White and ready for harvest. It's not tomorrow. 
It's not next year. It's not when I finish Bible school. It's not when I get a better job. It's not when, you know, I've got all these problems in my life. I got this thorn in my flesh. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. He was still reaching the lost. That besetting sin, go after the lost. Those things can't, can't stop us. The lost, the lost, the lost. And if our gospel will be hid in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, it be hid to them that are lost. Thank you, God, for giving this church a vision for the lost. As when we give in the offering, it's towards the vision for the lost. When we come to church here and we are faithful to be here three times a week, four times a week, it's because we care about the lost. When we send our kids to Christian school and when we just live in our, in our lives and our friendships and our relationships and our prayers together, it's for the lost. It's for the gospel, that precious gospel that God has given us. And that gospel is to the lost. So, Father, thank you tonight. Thank you for the harvest. The harvest is great. The harvest is plenteous. And the harvest is ready. There's people crying out, is there a God? Where is God? They might be, they were, they were in Oman. They are in Morocco. They are in China. They are in Japan. They're in Bolivia. They're in Canada. They're in America. They're in Europe. They're in Eastern Europe. And maybe their hearts cry as they don't even know how to pray. And they're not, they're not Christians. But there's something, there's something missing. There's, there's, God has put eternity there. And they have no fellowship with that which is eternal. And they know something's missing. We pray, Jesus, we can bring the gospel. That we would never stop. We would never stop. We would keep going with this gospel message. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the leadership of the church. Thank you for the vision you've given us. Thank you for all the churches around the world. Thank you for the Greater Grace Churches, for churches and other denominations and other, other churches that are reaching the lost. They are our brothers and sisters, no matter how they do it. Thank you, God, that we can bring this message to bring life to the lost. The good news in Jesus' name, amen.